I knew we had something special the first time the six of them did a scene together, all six of them. I got chills up my spine and just thought we had something really special there. I didn't think that meant it would make it popular Mm. or a success. I just knew it was special. It really wasn't until after, at the end of the first season, even though there was stuff happening all season and, you know, suddenly they're on magazines and, and, but, but it was really between the end of the first season and the beginning of second season um, where it started to really land on me, where I'd be walking down the street with a friend's baseball cap and somebody would stop me. Hi, welcome back to another episode of Mentors on the Mic podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Miller, a New York City native actress with credits in TV, film, commercials, and off-Broadway. And every week I bring you an incredible mentor in entertainment, focusing on how they started and how they moved up to where they are today. Thanks for listening and let the episode begin. Happy Mentor Monday, everyone. I cannot be more excited to give you this episode of season two of Mentors on the Mic podcast with this very, very special guest, Marta Kaufman. Marta is an Emmy and Golden Globe winning television writer, producer, and showrunner behind the hit series Friends and Grace and Frankie. I would have loved to time this episode with the HBO reunion, but alas, time isn't always on our side. But holy cow, this is such an amazing interview. I've been so excited to share this with you guys from how she started to who her mentors are to creating friends to behind the scenes stories of putting that show together to the inspiration of Central Perk to a little known fact about the theme song, I'll Be There For You, to the incredible story about pairing Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin together for Grace and Frankie. I cannot talk enough about how incredible this episode is. Before we dive in, I just wanted to let you guys know I created a specialty three-week virtual class called Public Speaking in the Virtual Space. Some of you might already know, but I'm a communications coach. I work with companies and do workshops and private clients like CEOs and filmmakers and doctors and medical professionals. And this particular class is for anyone looking to cultivate their presentation skills, establish executive presence, learn techniques to dealing with nerves, storytelling tips, varying pitch and tone, and you'll also learn tools to thinking on your feet. So if you're someone who's nervous about that Q&A portion of an event or interview, that's for you. It starts on Wednesday, June 16th, and it runs for three weeks. So want to feel confident and at ease in any sort of on-camera Zoom interview or when giving presentations, DM me on Instagram at Michelle Simone Miller and ask me about the different tiers that I offer. It's very affordable. And as a bonus discount, DM me mentors on the mic 15 for an automatic 15% off any tier you're looking at. Okay, so there's three different tiers. There's a VIP tier, there's a, a basic tier, and I want to give you a discount off any of them. And that's Mentors on the Mic 15. Now, without further ado, welcome Marta Kaufman. I always like to start with what was your first role in entertainment? Wow. You know, um, it, it, I guess it depends on what you call entertainment. Yeah. Um. I mean, there was a period of time I worked in an entertainment lawyer's firm. Yeah. As an assistant. So that I was rubbing against entertainment. Yes. No, I think that counts because you definitely learn stuff about the industry there. But I think the first thing that I would call a job is when we got to write um, some pieces for an off-Broadway review. Mm. And we did... Yeah, we did a couple numbers for an off-Broadway review, then we did it for another one, and then our show started going, our off-Broadway show called Personals, and so it was all all around the same time, all, all somewhere in the mm. mid-80s. So how did you get that first thing, the, the review, when you were reviewing the off-Broadway show? Um, do you know, I don't actually remember how we got that job. I want to say 
that it was our theatrical agent who got it for us when they were looking for writers and we'd mm. written a few things. You know, I, I think I might be mistaken. I believe the first real job was we wrote children's theater mm. musicals, did a musical version of Rapunzel and, and they were really fun. And even though they were children's theater, it, it's stuff we were very proud of and we're very happy to show it yes. to people. And it did get us other jobs. There we go. I love that. And so how did that start? Like now you're in that world, right? <laughs> now you've broken into theater. How did you start then creating your own work and, and putting it out there? for people to see? You know, the whole time we were doing it, we were all simultaneously trying to create our own work. Yeah. Uh, getting it out there is a whole different thing. We were very lucky that Personals got an off-Broadway Broadway run. I think it was about a year um, at the Minetta Lane Theater. Nice. Um, and then, you know, we just, we met with people. We got a job writing the musical version of the movie, Arthur. Right. From the producers who had um, the rights to it. But even that, I mean, you, you say you're working on something, but that was seven years of our lives. Right. And it never made it to Broadway. Yeah. And there were my dogs and the doorbell. Hold on one second. No problem. Okay. So you're in theater now. You're doing that. And that's pretty much the majority. But that's like your 20s, right? Is in New York City, right? And, right. And making theater. And then you jumped, you went to LA at like around 31, right? Is that correct? I was 31 years old. We, we kind of did this thing where we said, you know, this is our last year to try to get Arthur on Broadway. And if it doesn't happen, our agent who saw our agent to this day, wow, um, who saw personals, um, the show we did off Broadway. And she said, why aren't you doing television? And we sort of went, yeah. And then we decided that if, after all these years, if Arthur doesn't go, then we're going to give television a shot. And that's what we did. Arthur wasn't going to go one yet again. And we started taking meetings in Los Angeles. I would bring my three-month-old baby with me. David Crane was the assistant father. And we would take meetings. And we very luckily got a job working for Norman Lear developing television for him. And how and did you get that? Was it just meeting after meeting and you guys kind of decided that was the right fit? They offered us a job. Yeah. You know, you know, the last year that, that we lived in New York, David and I, to make money, wrote for a game show called The Knowledge Bowl, I wow. think it was called. Okay. And that year... Living in New York, we made $18,000. Yeah. And we, I had a baby. Yeah. We just couldn't do it anymore. We couldn't live in New York um, and, you know, pay our rent and electricity and all of that stuff. So when this job came along, besides, besides, it's for Norman Lear. I mean, yeah. Huge. It's for Norman Lear. They're going to pay for us to move. Oh, nice. And we can rent a house, you know, after living in two rooms to be able to come out here and rent a two bedroom. And have a whole house. A little house with a, a yard. I'm in New York, so I get it. I'm like, I'm like yeah. a yard and more than two brooms and yeah. space. Have you wanted to come back to New York since? Or are you kind of just like, you know, I miss theater. Yeah. I miss New York theater. Yeah. I miss dance. But honestly, I don't need to cross the street with 40 other people. I Especially just during a pandemic. Need, yeah, I just don't need to do that anymore. That's fair. So I, I don't miss living in the city. I miss mm. being there and visiting and my best friends are still there and yeah. all of that, yeah. Great, so you're working for Norman Lear and you have, are you starting to just like write a lot of scripts? Are you learning how to write pilots? Well, what at are the you doing? same yeah. time, when we got this job working for Norman, we also got a job writing a pilot mm. um, called Dream On. Oh, that so was that early? The, it was, it was. We knew that, that both things were very possibly gonna be running on the same tracks. Wow. Um, and ultimately, when we shot the pilot, I think we shot the pilot the summer before we started working 
for Norman. Oh. But then they picked it up. And now we have this job developing television for Norman Lear and a pilot that got picked up that's going to become a series. So we had to do this thing where we suspended and extended our contract so that we could go do Dream On. Oh, interesting. Wow. Was that a hard decision or you kind of were just like, I have to go with the project that I created? It was not a hard decision. It was not. I mean, we had, when we first came to LA and we were first meeting with people, we met with a bunch of agents, including Nancy, who, as I said, is since 1985 has been my TV agent. Yeah. Which is amazing. And, and, you know, they were saying that what we had to do to break in was to work for other people on other people's shows. Yes. And we were so naive about television. We kind of went, you want to do that. Wow. We don't want to work on other people's shows. I had a baby. I didn't, if I was going to be working late nights, it wasn't going to be for someone else. So we decided to go our own route and I'm knocking on wood and knocking on my head. It, it turned out okay. Yeah. Do you think that route's still available for people now? In some ways I do. I mean, there's so much product and um, I, I think there are ways to get your own show done. Generally now, if someone's going to do that, they would put a supervisor with mm -hmm. them you know, a show running type person. I mean, I think the fear is, has this person ever run a show before? Right. So the fact that we were even allowed to run our, sh our own show was a huge deal. Yeah. And, and I'm not sure that so much of that happens right now. Interesting. I believe you had done a couple television products prior to Dream On, correct? Like that wasn't your first time it was. out. The, was it? It was. I mean, we... we um, we did a little bit of, you know, here's a pilot idea. Sure, go write that. Right, got it. Pilot idea. Okay, well, and we thought the job was you write stuff and it doesn't get made. Yeah. You know, we, that's exactly what the job was. Yeah. Um, so we had done some of that after Dream On. Got it. Um, we formed a company with David Crane, Kevin Bright, and myself, and we developed television for ourselves and developed a couple of things. We shot mm. a couple of pilots one year, one show went, but didn't last very long. And then the next season we shot a couple more pilots and one of them was friends. Wow. Okay. So before we get to that, cause that's huge, obviously. So prior to that, I also know you did like a couple things after dream on that were happening, I think simultaneously. So I think dream on was from nine, 90 to 93. There was also um, family album. Right. Right. That was one of those shows that we did while we were under that deal with mm -hmm. Warner Brothers. That was Got family it. album. It, it was short lived. We did do one called Powers That Be. That was the one we did for Norman Lear. Right. I was going to ask about that. Yeah. We we owed them a show and he mm -hmm. had um, Interesting. he had an idea and it was it, it was a very tricky situation. That was a situation where they didn't want us to run our own show. Hmm. And they brought in a showrunner over us. Hmm. So it was um, that was very hard to give my baby to someone else to raise. Yes. And choices were made that I wouldn't have made. Yeah, it was not it was not the way I would want have wanted to do a show. And it was on for two seasons. Yeah. So and yeah. it was crazy. It was such a, the way this show happened was when we suspended and extended our contract, we had had a um a moment with Norman Lear. And Norman had read a, a script that we had written for him. And obviously he didn't love it. Um which is fine. That which happened. happens. Yeah. And he came up to me and he put his hands on my arms and he said, it was shallow. And he put a hand on David's shoulder and said, and superficial. <laughs> so when we went to Dream On, we didn't put David Crane and Marta Kaufman on our door. We put shallow and superficial. So when we were asked <laughs> to write this other script for Norman, we were nervous that he didn't get us. Yeah. 
and we were happy doing Dream On and, and, you know, wanted to do our own stuff. And, and I can't believe I'm telling this story, but we decided let's do a show that we can be proud of, but they probably won't make. We were told no politics. So the main character was a senator. His wife was gay. She slapped the maid. His daughter was bulimic. His son-in-law was suicidal. I mean, we had, he was having an affair with his executive assistant. Everything we could think of that sounded really fun, satirical, but nobody will put this off. And they did. Sorry about my phone ringing. And so what did all these experiences, so both like all like Dream On and Sunday Dinner, The Powers That Be, Family Album, all of that stuff, plus all the stuff that you wrote and it didn't happen, right? Because that, that's, that's all part of it. How did that contribute to what you felt like was presenting Friends? Or like, what did you learn from all that that then, you know, went into your experiences show running that show? You know, uh, everything. We, we... We were musical theater writers. Our first real TV show was Dream On. Right. And we learned as we were doing it. I mean, we had to ask people what writer's rooms look like and what do you do in one? Yeah. Um, So the first thing we had to learn was how to run a writer's room. We wrote so we understood structure, structures of a scene, and we got the basic idea of, you know, how many acts there are and all that stuff. But the other thing that happened... When we were doing Dream On, Dream On was a star show. There was one lead actor and he was in every single scene. Which is a lot. It was a lot. It was really hard on him. Really a lot. So we decided our next one's going to be an ensemble. And that's one of the ways we ended here at Friends. Yeah. Oh, good to know. So... I mean, obviously, so I've heard stories that like really that the idea of friends came from a lot of it came from personal experience, like your friends and then the people you were close to. You saw this cafe called Insomnia Cafe in L.A., but it took place in New York. So I was just curious in setting that up, why you chose New York City as a location, which ended up being like huge for the show. I mean, I've heard you call it like another character. But then in addition to that, you know, it came from the spot in LA. You were in LA now, you know, what, what sort of contributed to that? Well, because it was about that time in your life when your friends are your family and that time in our lives was when we lived in New York, we lived there. I lived there for about 11 years. I think David lived there for 10. Mm. Um, and we were part of a group of friends and we did everything together. So our experience was related to New York. Yeah. Insomnia Cafe just gave us a really interesting um, set where you could have them meet on a regular basis and not wonder why they're there. And so in putting that together with David, what was that like putting that first script, putting all of them? I mean, I feel like from what I've heard with showrunners, you really have to put out so much content prior to when you're pitching. Was that the case with Friends that you had to put, you know, maybe an idea for the whole season already ahead of it? No, we didn't. I mean, we pitched the show, we pitched the characters, we pitched some episode ideas. I think it was pretty clear that the show was really about these six people and the network ultimately got nervous that there wasn't anybody older in the cast. Thankfully we won that battle. Yeah. Fair. So yeah. let's break down. I ha- I've interviewed another showrunner before, but I wanted to ask. Oh, you wait, I know what I was going to say. Yeah. We didn't put all that much stuff forward. We didn't have to do a proof of concept. Mm-hmm. This was, I think before that, even that was a thing. Got it. So it's a different type of pitch than you probably would, would, would you do say, today. yeah, what to do today. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. I already lost the other question that I was going to, oh yeah, I've already, I've interviewed a showrunner before, but I wanted to take, I wanted to ask you what your idea of a showrunner is. What is the role? What are the responsibilities? Because it's very extensive and I don't think everyone really understands it. The most important job of a showrunner is to collaborate, to make f- people understand that their opinions are valuable, that their ideas are important. You can run a show, but if it's not a happy place to be, nobody's going to want to come back. Yes. So I always feel that one very important job is to make everybody happy or to have everybody feel 
that they are glad to be doing this job. But then you're in charge of all the stories. You're in charge of all the scripts. You don't write them all, but you help rewrite them. You look at costumes, you look at sets, you look at furniture, you look at shoes, you look at props, you worry about the actors. You have a relationship with the actors. You have a relationship with the director with whom you have to constantly communicate to make sure that they, he, she, or they are giving you what you imagined. Um, so showrunners do everything. We do post-production, we do editing, we do the mix playbacks, you know, we do color correction. There isn't a piece of it that we aren't involved in. But in each of those areas, there's someone who knows that better than we do. There is an editor who knows how to cut something better than I do. I know what I want something to feel like, right? but she knows how to do it. And you hire those people. Yes, we hire everybody. And in terms of casting, because you know, as an actress myself, and I know a lot of actors listen to this, you also decide pretty much all the casting choices, aside from the fact that the network has to approve and you have to go through all that. Do you have a story in which maybe you wanted someone for a particular role and the network had to veto it or you had to like fight for someone? Does that happen often that the network is kind of like, I really don't think we should have this him or her or them? When we were doing Friends... Two of our cast members had other jobs. So we had to convince the networks to let them be in Friends. And then we'd figured out if their other shows went or not. Yeah. That was something I remember we really had to fight for. Got it. And we were willing to go to bat for Matthew Perry and Jennifer Aniston. I mean, Um, yeah. But generally, I mean, the network has opinions and they give you your opinions or the streaming service or whatever you have. Um, The... The, the opinions that we would get a fair bit are on those first lists you get of people. Like here's okay. a list of all the people who can play Robert and here's the list of all the people who could play Saul. Mm. And the network will have an opinion on that list. Got it. So that we can prioritize who are we going to first. But generally I have had the experience where people have for the most part been very respectful of our passion about our cast. And so do you, are you sort of deciding all of the roles, everything from co-stars to series regulars, or you kind of leave other people to do some of the smaller stuff? No, I do all the small stuff. I do. I, I, I think it's different for everyone. Good. It's really important. So I am in, every single casting session that I am awake for. Fair. Do you have any advice for actors who are auditioning and? Yes. Yes. Know that the people who are in the room really want you to succeed. Mm. Really want you to. We want a good person to play the part and we really hope it's you when you walk in. Right. So yeah, that's, that's. I love that. It's not advice as much as it's something you should know when you walk in. Excellent. I love that. Do you think a showrunner is more of a writer or more of a producer? And what I mean by that is obviously they're both, but do you think strengths have to fall on one over the other? Or do you feel like it's different for everybody and you have an idea that what's your favorite or what you're best at? It all comes from the writing. It comes first. Nothing will be good unless the writing is good. It, it's why we, we as with Grace and Frankie, you know, we start well ahead of time so that we can get the scripts going so that in particular, so that once production starts and I'm going to be spread a little more thin, we have stuff that we've been talking about, you know, that we're planning on and we know at least you know we're all on the same page you know i have been fortunate with dream on with friends and with grace and frankie of working with a partner right i was gonna ask about that so you know with david crane and i david never left the writer's room that was his safe place i loved going to the set and working with the actors and camera blocking day and rewriting on the spot and doing all of that i loved it and and the same is true for grace and frankie where Howard Morris, who I co-wrote the pilot with, um, his happy place is the room, is the writer's room. He doesn't get out much. 
And I like all of it. So for me, what's fun about the job is being able to do everything. Yeah. I also am some, because I do all of that, you know, there is a lot of time wasted in a writer's room where people are just. Yeah. um, Brainstorming, connecting, just talking about. Yeah. I, I, I try to keep things on more on track when I'm there because my time is so limited. Fair. That gave me a lot to think about. So, so as a showrunner then specifically for friends, and this is, I mean, we're going to talk about friends. Obviously we have to, I am very well aware that you've been asked all of the questions. There's so many, you're probably getting all the time. So let's try to go through them. One, when did you know that this was like what it was? When did you know whether it was like the first time you saw them sort of acting together? Was it the first time that it aired and you were like, this is special? When was the first time you were like, I know that this is going to be big. Well, there are two different questions. I knew we had something special the first time the six of them did a scene together, all six of them. Yeah, I imagine that. I got chills up my spine and just thought we had something really special there. Yeah. I didn't think that meant it would make it popular Mm. or a success. I just knew it was special. It really wasn't until after at the end of the first season, even though there was stuff happening all season and, you know, suddenly they're on magazines and, and, but, but it was really between the end of the first season and the beginning of second season um, where it started to really land on me, where I'd be walking down the street with a friend's baseball cap and somebody would stop me. Hmm. And say, where did you get that? You know, or you'd hear people talking in a restaurant. Um, And it was it was strange and kind of a little embarrassing. It just felt so weird and and surreal. Um, But that's really when it started to feel like something was happening. And I remember us watching the premiere of the second season and that night you could just sort of feel the energy that this that this was a train that wasn't going to go off the tracks too easily. Definitely wasn't that. So there's a quote that I found. So you talk, obviously, everyone asked you forever about a reunion. And I really love what you said. You said we will not be doing a reunion show. We will not be doing a reboot. There are two reasons for that. One of the reasons we don't do a reunion is because this is a show about a time in your life when your friends or your family and when you have a family that changes. But the other reason it's not going to beat what we did. So what I would like to know is... Obviously that changed, but it is, but it didn't change, right? So there obviously is something in the works. There's something people are working on, but it's not a reunion in the same way that people imagined it would be, right? It's not a reunion where people are going to play themselves, like they're, they're, they're going to play themselves. It is not scripted. Right. It is not scripted. We were never going to do that. That was never going to happen as you read, but this version of it where, It's more about the show, the impact the show had on them, on people around the world. It just celebrates the show. But I can't say too much about it. Yeah, I figured. I figured. Except that it's coming soon. Which we're very excited about and we're very appreciative about. Excellent. Wonderful. But I I did like that fact that that never, I mean, obviously we all love the show, but it exists, I think, in such a world that I'm kind of grateful that nothing was rebooted and that we didn't have to. I I agree with that. And I appreciated that, like sticking to that. And I'm glad that they're coming back in some way because we do love them. And I don't think we've seen all six of them together. I can't remember. I mean, even even in the there was one Instagram photo last year. Yes. And that was that's the last time the six of them were together. And I don't know how long which is crazy, but amazing. So this is going to be very exciting. And I know you can't talk about it, but I just wanted to mention that. And wonderful. So we have friends going on forever. That was your main, like besides obviously your real child, your baby, right? And then it's ended. What's next? What were your thoughts? Did you want a break? Did you have other things in mind that you were like, if I had time, I would do X? It was a really hard period for me. I was turning 50 or just turned 50, one of those. Going through menopause, my oldest child was going to college and my show just ended. And David Crane and I decided we wanted different things with our careers and we decided not to write together anymore, Um, which, you know, he's still one of my dearest friends in the world. 
So all of those things happened in the same moment. And for a little while, I crawled into a nice dark hole, um, spent some time there. And when I crawled out, I realized I had to learn to write by myself. For 27 years, David Crane and I had written every word together. And now I had to, and he was always on the keyboard. So I wrote out loud. So now I'm going to be sitting here, me and my keyboard and no one to talk to. Right. I literally type myself questions because that's stupid. I think it might be, you know. You did say your favorite part was collaborating. Yeah. So it makes sense. Yeah, it was hard. Also, you'd been doing something for so long one way. Yeah. So then how did you push through that? Well, you know, some of it was I, I knew that. I wanted to stay away from multi-camera comedies. I just didn't want to compete with myself. Yeah, um, probably so healthy. <laughs> started looking into one-hour comedic dramas and half-hour comedic dramas or dramatic comedies, whatever you want to call them, um, and started looking into other areas. And I was asked to supervise someone who'd never done a show before um, on a one-hour which was a great experience for me at that point in my life. It brought me into the one hour world. I got to learn about it, but it also helped me get out of feeling sad. And, you know, that was that, that joy that decade was over. What? No, was it that, was no. Um, related. Related. That makes sense. Okay. So then, so you did that. You worked through that. Actually, you know what? Let's just backtrack for a second. Cause something about what you said in, cer- in sort of describing this hole that you went into, I feel like a lot of people specifically in the pandemic have their own holes that they are coming out of. Do you have anything to recommend to those people? It's tough because this is a, a different kind of hole. Yeah. And, and many people were able to, especially writers, keep working, not necessarily get paid, but they could keep working if they chose to or felt up to it. You know, the thing about crawling out of a hole is you have to put your sights on something else Hmm. and not on the crawling out itself. Yeah. But, you know, when you're swimming up to the surface of the water, you have your eyes set on the sunlight on the other side of the water. So for me, it's the same thing. You crawl out of a hole. You've got to have a focus on something you can do and do actively that will distract you from the shitty feelings. And then replace those feelings um, with, with happier and more joyful and more productive thoughts. And was related that for you or was, or were you climbing out before that? You know, it was a combination of two things. Related was a lot of it that really helped me get out of, of, of the hole, um, get out of my house. And then when I wrote my first script alone, I was Mm. terrified, but, and there's nothing worse than facing a blank page. To this day, there's nothing I hate more than that. But when I finished the script, I had something I could feel okay about. And again, it was a doing. Yes. Even though I didn't know whether or not I could accomplish it, it was a doing. And I just made myself finish and then rewrite it like 10 times. Right. Did you show it to people at some point? I did. Yeah. I did. I even showed it to David. Yes. And what were the, did they just give you like kind of notes you know, back and forth? Was it? Yeah, all... that's what you do with your writer friends. So would you read this and give me some thoughts to make it better? And, and people did, do. Did that go anywhere? Or was it just kind of something? Familiar? No, it never went anywhere. Which it was happens, I think so much. I mean, so the much. amount of things that I've heard writers, like for every success, there's like, not that, you know, I wouldn't say the opposite's failure, but like there's a bunch of projects that never get. That are still in the trunk that have never seen the light of day. I have one that I love so much. It's based on a true story. Um, Adolf Hitler had a nephew whose name was William Patrick Hitler. And Adolf Hitler 
found William Patrick to be, he, he basically thought he was the black sheep of the family, found him to be an opportunist, was kicked out of the Third Reich. He moves to the U.S. with his mother, traveling around the country, making speeches on, um, this is why I hate my Uncle Adolf, joined the U.S. Navy, was injured, got a Purple Heart, and then when the war was over and all the atrocities came out, he changed his name, had four sons. When the sons were in their late teens and 20s, they made a pact never to marry and never have children so the bloodline could die with them. So I did a script called The Last of the Hitlers based on that beginning, which I always said the, the log line is, do you think your family's fucked up? And it never went. And I bring it out every couple of years and try again, but it never went. I mean, that story's so good. Isn't it good? Like, obviously, I don't know what the rest is like, but just that alone, I'm like, on. I was, I had no idea. There was a story. One of the brothers accidentally got a Jewish woman pregnant, and this was pre-Roe v. Wade. Oh. And he had to tell her who they were. Oh, my God. Can you imagine being that woman? I can't. I really can't. I don't know what I... That is a show. I am putting that out there that that has okay, to be made because that is, I want to know what happens. Yeah. I have to do some research. Did any of them end up breaking the pact aside from that? I mean, the youngest brother met a woman, fell in love, decided he wanted to get married and then was killed in a car crash. Oh, it just gets more and more chilling. The more, the more this you dig into it. This has to be made, Marta. I, I, I just... I have to see this. You know stories. I mean, I'm not surprised that you have this in your belt, but like. But that's but that's it's interesting, though, because part discovering my love of the one hour mm. format. Yeah. Where I didn't feel like I had to hold myself up against friends. Yeah. And I could sort of reinvent myself, which is part of, you know, what crawling out of that hole meant. Yeah. Is to, I, I didn't know I was doing that, but that's what I had to do um, in order to move forward in my career and my life. Yeah. It's like your own shoes were already big to fill almost like <laughs> it's hard. I can't imagine, but you did it. I mean, you obviously did it. And so Grace and Frankie, let's start about that. I, I haven't, I, I already kind of know, but I want you to, uh, to sort of tell everyone the story of how that started specifically how you got Jane and Lily. Okay. So I was having lunch with Marcy Ross, who at the time was the head of to television at Skydance uh, television. Um, and we had met before and we really liked each other and thought, what well, we got to do something together. And, and she mentioned to me at that lunch that both Jane and Lily wanted to do TV. I thought she meant together. So I ran to my office. I called my agent and I said, I hear Jane and Lily want to do a TV show together. Is that true? And 20 minutes later, she called me back and she said, they do now. So it's such a good story. Also, because there's such a good pairing and it makes so much sense. Like yeah. had I thought about it, you know, before that happened, I would have been like, yes, that makes sense. So and they love each other so yes. much. Them together, like I've seen interviews of them. I remember like I was watching something recently of them on Ellen and the just the love going back and forth. It's like banter yeah. and love. It's yeah. so palpable. So did you then go, well, what kind of story do I make for them? Like, well, yeah, we had to then come up with some ideas and, you know, come up with more than once, hoping that something right. would stick. And we came up with, I think it was three ideas and... My daughter, who at the, t at the time was working for me, doing develop development for my company, nice. um, came up with the idea of two women who don't like each other, whose husbands fall in love and get married. Super strong. That is in itself another, like it just leads to intrigue. Yeah. But the important thing about an idea like that 
is the, the show is obviously about something else. That's what starts the story. The show is really about you can start your life over at any time. Right. And you, you don't want to, as a writer, get too caught up in the, you know, the husband story is going to change after a while once they sort of yeah. you know, grow into themselves as characters. Right. That's that, you know, that only sustains, I think, for the first few episodes. And then at right. some point you're like, okay, well, now what? Um, okay. So the first thing I want to ask is about Netflix, because you've been, you know, so used to network shows. And this was really one of the first original series. How was having Netflix as a partner now? Well, you know, when we started, how many years ago was it? Well, this is our seventh season, but... I think 2015. Okay. I wrote down. 50 years, somewhere in there. It was a very different experience. Look, I've always had good experiences with networks. And, and uh, you know, for the most part, our notes have been fine. And very often extremely helpful. Great. Um, and it was always important to listen to the heart of the note, not necessarily the solution, but what's, what's underneath the note. Mm. And, and you can develop a good working relationship with a network that way uh, and a studio. But Netflix was different. We pitched the outline. They gave us some thoughts. We wrote the script and we knew that based on this script, they would either pick it up and we would do 13 episodes or they wouldn't do it. And Cindy Holland at the time um, was who gave us actually most of our notes. I think Jane Wiseman was there then also doing for that for us. And the notes were notes that kept us true to our own vision. They didn't try to make it something else or they never worried about the audience or the branding right. of their network, the, the service. Um, they never worried about that. They wanted this to be the best it could be. That's they gave us yeah. this, and, and the big note was to lean into the drama, mm. which was a great note. That is a great note. And then how did it feel then to have to do multiple episodes and then drop them, right, all at once and have people like almost encourage people to binge as opposed, which people do with friends, obviously now, but all the time. But it still was probably a new concept, this idea of all these episodes dropping on a show as opposed to like, okay, we're doing this an hour. I mean, in some ways for you, probably gives you way more time, right? To Not really. Know. Okay. Not really. So the way the way it works, you we had for 13 episodes, it was close to a year from beginning the writer's room through to when we dropped them. It's close to a year to get everything done. And in terms of doing the first season, which is where it felt the most different, because you don't do a pilot, you do a first episode. Right. When you do a pilot, you take a break. Sometimes there's recasting. Sometimes there's rewriting. You know, all kinds of things can happen after you shoot a pilot. Um, and we weren't going to get to do any of those things. Right. So the learning curve is a little different. I think it takes about, took about four episode until we, episodes until we found our way and found out how to walk the line between comedy and drama. Mm. But, you know, we were thrilled to be on Netflix. I think we were, yeah, it, it was, it was a great working relationship. They had surprisingly strong opinions about music, which I thought was really funny, huh. but they were amazing partners in this journey. They've been nothing but supportive. You know, the show has done well by them. They've done well by us. I mean, we're, we're, we're very happy to be there and, and that they've given us this gift of seven seasons. We'll yeah. be their longest running show. Wow. I didn't know that. That's amazing. Yeah. And this year has been, I know we've talked about this before on a panel, but this year has been super crazy and everything has been pushed off. Where are we now with Grace and Frankie? I know there was a lot of Zoom meetings with the writer's room over the year. Where are we now? So um, the writers come back to work on June 1st. Yay. Um, the production, production starts on June 21st. Excellent. And we're going to shoot our last 11 and a half episodes. Whew. How do you feel about it? 
I can't wait to get back to work. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm so excited to see people. I'm really looking forward to it. I think it it will be challenging. We have a lot to learn about how to shoot in COVID days. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we may have to do rewriting based on how we can shoot things. And yeah. so it's going to be a different kind of adventure. But I'm yeah. so looking forward to it. I was going to ask about rewrites because you mentioned it also before with friends. But how how much improv do you like from your actors? Because obviously writing is key. It's the foundation of every great show. So you don't want to change it too much. Do you feel like I mean, I've heard a lot of actors say like, you know, do what you're supposed to do. Say the lines. And if there's time, ask to like try something else and see does what do you feel but we what we always did with friends which is we would always say let us hear what we wrote first mm. if it doesn't work we'll be the first ones to say oh we got to fix that and then pitch us whatever you want but let us hear it our way once and then pitch whatever you want and then they could play and they had ideas and stuff. And, you know, so it was, it, again, it was a very collaborative experience. Jane and Lily like their words. They like their sort of Sam and Martin, actually. They like the words that they're given and they, they are, you know, consummate pros. Yeah. Who did not really, you know, Jane did not come up through improv. So this was not something that for her would be, you know, comfortable. Right. We do like to play when there's time, but it, there's really hard to, it's really hard to find time when you're shooting a TV show. You have 12 hour days and we have four people in their 80s who we try to get them out as early as we can. Completely understand that. I'm trying to be mindful of time and I only want to ask a couple more questions, which is okay. very hard because I can keep going. What are your tips for becoming a showrunner? And what are your tips for pitching as a showrunner? What comes to mind? Well, I, I'd say my tips for becoming a showrunner are that if you've worked on a number of different shows, find the qualities in each of the showrunners whom you've worked for and build yourself from yeah. that. Collect them, collect yeah. the traits you love. Yeah, and be very aware of the traits you don't love. Because the rules are set from the showrunner down. I mean, we have a thing. There is no yelling. Yeah. Nobody yells at anybody for any reason. You got to talk to someone. You take them aside. You don't embarrass anybody. I mean, you know, and, and if I were working for a showrunner who did that, I know I would be mortified. So I think a lot of it is taking from people that you admire. In terms of pitching. Yeah. I feel like pitching is performing. I write my pitches so they are incredibly conversational and feel like I'm telling a story. Um, I don't want them to feel too written. I want people to just think I'm sharing this thing and there's this great character who has this stuff and, oh, and the story goes, you know, just, yeah. just so it, it feels more natural rather than stiff. Yeah. And you got to perform the hell out of it. Excellent tip. Love it. I can I can see you kind of doing that and, and being super animated about it. And I think that engages people more anyway. So yeah. that's a great tip. Um, who are some of your mentors? Wow. Um, well, even though we had an unusual experience um, with Act 3, Norman Lear, obviously. And I have to be honest, Nancy Josephson, who is the agent who came to us in 1985 and said, why aren't you doing television? She has mentored us from the beginning. And on top of that, she and I have kids that are all the same ages and we've been through all kinds of life things together. But I, I would consider her to be a mentor. The truth is there weren't a lot of women showrunners when I started. So I didn't really have that female showrunner model. Do you think it was easier for you to become a showrunner because you were coming in with David because people weren't used to Absolutely. seeing female showrunners? Absolutely. It's crazy. Yeah. And it was a female and a gay man. So we brought us the straight white guy, <laughs> Kevin Bright. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So the other question I ask people at the end of the podcast is what is your definition of success? And I like that specifically because I imagine it, it, it's evolved. So I like to kind of hear where you are with that definition. Well, the first thing that came to my mind when you said it was pride. 
even if I, I am so proud of the script I wrote for Last of the Hitlers, even though it never got made yet, it was a success for me at that time in my life when I was starting to write drums. It, it meant everything to me. Yeah. So I, I think the first line of success is pride in your work. It's very hard to measure success, especially these days by, did it get picked up? How many episodes did it get? Is it, you know, Netflix is only doing three seasons. Does that mean it wasn't as successful as something that was doing seven seasons? So it's much harder to let those things define what success means. The other thing I've got to say, and this falls in with pride, but there is nothing like people saying, I love your show. Yeah. Your show got me through something. Yeah. That's which, success. Which you probably hear all the time because, I mean, Friends is, I mean, Grace and Frankie as well. Both of those are just shows that get at the heart of something that most, that you don't see a lot, you know? Thank you. Thank so, you. I appreciate that. We tried. I had, I had to wait this long to compliment. I felt like, you know, <laughs> I'm, we're at a place now. I'm going to throw in something. So I'm not. Yeah, we know each other pretty well. Yeah. You know, I don't we're have to girl in. in the beginning. Um, Great. The other random question I wanted to ask, this is small. I saw on IMDb that like you get credited for everything that I'll be there for you for the Rembrandt. Like every time they're featured on something, you you get credit for it. And I wanted to ask quickly, does that... Like, how do you explain... Like, how is that something... Because normally the, the theme song of a show, I feel like doesn't get credited to the to the showrunner. Well, um, David and I wrote many of the lyrics. Oh. Yeah. Allie Willis did a version. We did a second draft. Oh. Um, so we actually... Then there you go. I just never saw that. I was looking yeah. through and I was like, how did... That's crazy, but that makes sense. Yeah. Go figure. Especially for the long one. Right. Huh. Great. Good to know. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, I hate to do this because I've really, really enjoyed speaking to you so much. I'm so grateful for this. Thank you for being on. I've just had the best time talking to you. Um, There's so much there that I am going to listen back and learn from myself, but I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Michelle. Great questions. I really appreciated our time. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening to Mentors on the Mic. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend in entertainment you know would love it. Let me know what you've learned or what stayed with you on our Instagram at Mentors on the Mic. I love reading your messages. Uh, you can also find me at, at Michelle Simone Miller on Instagram. On both accounts, I'll be sharing even more information about our mentors. Talk to someone about what you learned today who would really appreciate it and send them the episode. Also, if you love the show, please go ahead and leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It really makes a huge difference in growing this. It makes it easier for people to find our podcast, and I love reading your reviews. So thank you so much, and I'll see you next week.